Good evening. Thank you for having me preach this morning, this evening. And um, before I um, start, I just thank you as well for from Rashmika and I for the prayers uh, with the arrival of Josiah. I heard there were some rumours that I'm changing my profession again, uh, but those are false. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I think I'll try and keep it that way. Um, But before we begin, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are a good God, uh, a faithful God, uh, a sovereign God, um, and a God that has revealed yourself to us, Lord. And we thank you that you're a God who uh, not only created the world, but also uh, desired to dwell with a people for yourself, Lord. And we pray uh, this morning that we may uh, learn Uh, more about our God and that we may grow uh, closer to you uh, and dwell more with you uh, this day than yesterday. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, uh, technology is advancing at rates most of us can't keep up with, certainly faster than I can keep up with. Uh, Perhaps that's why uh, there are growing fears that robots are one day going to take over. Currently, uh, all the chat is these IA, uh, AI programs. Um, you can go to a website, I think one of them is called ChatGBT, and uh, you can talk to this computer program. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I certainly don't understand it, but you can type in a question, and then this, this computer program will scan the internet and uh, a bucket load of, of data and respond to your question. And you can ask them to write you a poem, an essay, or even a sermon. Uh, And you can request uh, it to include references, or be in a certain style, or to portray uh, certain emotions, and et cetera, and et cetera. Um, So as you can imagine, there's a huge amount of data and a huge amount of ways this computer can do it, but it, it scans all the information, all the data, and then it processes it, and then produces your request like that. Um, and it's quite incredible technology. I've tried it. Um, not, not for this sermon. But, uh, <laughs> but um, what I found interesting about this, this machine that is far beyond my understanding and is, is very quite impressive, really quite impressive is it still needs direction. Uh, it still needs to be uh, programmed by someone like you or me. And it needs to be given a task. It needs to be given rules, uh, parameters for it to be useful. Uh, And I think this is a good picture of humans. Uh, We have lives that are filled with endless possibilities. We can pursue education, we can pursue careers, we can pursue relationships, uh, we can pursue wealth and possessions, uh, we can have great experiences here on earth, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, But all all of these things, in and of themselves, are meaningless. Uh, uh, life is so much more than just the sum of all these different parts of life. And so what we all know as humans is we desire something more. We desire something greater. There's a greater purpose to life, a greater goal or objective, uh, something that surpasses all these things. Uh, And this is what the first commandment is really concerned with. Uh, This commandment is uh, concerned with uh, what all of the different parts of life really are pointing towards what brings them all together. 
not only is this commandment the foundation of understanding all the other commandments, uh, it's actually the key to religion itself. Um, and so uh, the first point uh, I want to make coming from this commandment is that God must be our God. The commandment I should add is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what we're looking at, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, but the first point I want to make is, God must be our God. And this is implied within the command. Um, and it's implied uh, because you can't have other gods before um, God unless he is your God. So uh, Eddie brought to us last week the intro into the Ten Commandments. And the intro is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the Egypt. And so uh, God is addressing his people and he's saying, I uh, will be your God and will be your God alone. Uh, and it's important to note uh, the lowercase g uh, when it says, uh, I will be your God. So uh, it can be confusing because God himself is always God, capital G. Uh, but us as humans have the ability to have little gods or false gods or other gods. Uh, but uh, we are called in this commandment to only have one God, uh, uh, for the true God to be our God, uh, little g. Um, and so uh, this command comes in the context of Israel. Uh, we know that God had just brought them out of Egypt. They were there uh, living in Egypt, a culture that had many gods. Uh, they had gods to sun gods and they had gods of uh, the river Nile and they had gods of uh, beetles and gods of uh, animals. And Pharaoh himself, the ruler of Egypt, uh, was a self-proclaimed god. And they were enslaved to him, uh, working in quite harsh conditions uh, to the glory of this false god, Pharaoh. Uh, but God uh, used great plagues. Uh, he, sent, he turned the river to blood. He sent uh, pests and bugs um, to plague the crops and the people. He sent diseases. Uh, he sent great storms. Uh, and eventually, he killed the firstborn sons of all those in Egypt, including Pharaoh. Uh, and he did all this uh, to uh, save Israel out of of Egypt, um, and they passed through the Jordan Sea, which God divided, and uh, they were uh, separated uh, from Egypt and out of slavery to Pharaoh. And through this episode, through these episodes, one thing that was clear was God's power. Uh, God surely set Himself apart as the true living God, ruler over all other gods, uh, and particularly the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Uh, so even to the people of Egypt, uh, they would have seen uh, the great power and deity of Israel's God. And even uh, if you read on uh, further, you see that surrounding nations also heard about the God of the Exodus. But God does not command all these other people. God commands Israel. God commands Israel that they should have no other gods before me. And so what God was saying was more than just you must acknowledge me as a superior being over all other gods. Uh, what God was saying specifically to Israel 
had something to do with the covenant that he had made with Abraham uh, back in Genesis 17. God promised Abraham a nation and promise, promised that he would be their God. And now Israel was Abraham's descendants and they had been set free from their oppressors and this same God uh, had saved them so that he could be their God and so that they uh, could worship him as God, just as he was Abraham's. And this theme runs all throughout the Bible. Uh, God also made the world and he made Adam and put him in the garden so that Adam could dwell with him as his God. Uh, and, that, and we know that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and called a people to himself to dwell with him as their God. Uh, it is true, it is good, and it is all throughout the Bible that uh, we are called, people are called to live and dwell with God as their God. And here in Exodus, Israel was commanded the same. Here in Israel, here Israel is commanded that they should have God as their God and God alone. And we will get to the exclusivity of it in the second point. But we first need to try and understand what it means for God to be our God. And Thomas Watson's book on the Ten Commandments was very helpful on this point. Uh, and he, I have five points from him uh, that I think uh, really encapture this idea of God being our God. Uh, they're simple kids and we'll go through them a couple of times throughout this sermon. So try and remember these five things. Uh, the first thing is that we must know God. Uh, God revealed himself to Israel through prophets like Abraham, like Moses. Uh, and then um, we know in the New Testament he revealed himself through his son Jesus. Uh, and then Paul uh, in Acts, we see him preaching to Greeks who worshipped an ungod God, uh, calling them to know the true God. Uh, so for God to be our God, we must first know him. Uh, the second thing is we must fear God. Um, again, we see this in the Exodus. God was a God of great power. And as they came to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, Israel could not approach Mount Sinai. There was great thunder, great trumpets sounding, uh, lightning, uh, and they were too afraid. They feared God, and so Moses went ahead, um, and they feared God. And so we also must fear our God. Uh, thirdly, we must trust God. Uh, God not only delivered uh, Israel from safety from Egypt and from slavery, but he also continued to feed them daily in the wilderness. He led them to many victories and eventually to the safe dwelling place in the promised land of Canaan. Uh, and, so is, uh, and so Israel was called to trust their God. Uh, Israel trusted their God and we too are called to trust in Jesus. Uh, many times throughout the Gospels we are called to trust him. And so we must trust our God. Uh, fourthly, we must obey God. Uh, and this does not need much explanation, and we will elaborate on it, I'm sure, over the next few weeks uh, as we consider the Ten Commandments. But uh, it is clear uh, from Israel uh, that uh, God wanted them to obey him. Uh, and lastly, we must love God. Uh, the... The psalmist's words are hard to beat on this topic. Uh, he says, Whom am I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire but you. Uh, for we must love our God. 
And what you'll notice about these five things, uh, these are all things naturally we do as humans. We all uh, think about things, we all have knowledge, we all have fears, we all trust in something, we all obey, uh, we all love. Um, and what God is calling Israel to do here is uh, for him as their God to consume and demand all of these things from their lives. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, there's many facets of our lives, uh, but when God calls us to be his God, they all are to become subject uh, to him and to uh, his rule. The true and living God here in Exodus demands that he be our God and that we know, fear, trust, obey and love him. And him alone. And that's our second point this evening, that uh, if God must be our God, but he must be our God alone. And we live in a society where the golden rule is inclusivity, uh, but God's first commandment demands the opposite. God's commandment demands exclusivity. Uh, God wanted Israel to worship him, to praise him, and for him to be their God alone. Uh, this, there's a fair bit of debate over this term before me, having God's before me. Uh, Calvin suggests it's not just, his, God's not just referring to a hierarchy that he must be first and he must be before all other gods. Uh, Calvin says rather it's before me, uh, it's more saying in front of my face. Uh, so the picture is of uh, a husband um, and his wife is cheating on him in front of his face. Uh, so again, we, we have seen that uh, having God as your God is a covenant, it is a relationship, it is our devotion, uh, our whole life devotion to God. And uh, if we have another God, uh, it, is, it is likened to harlotry or to um, cheating on your spouse. And that's how Calvin describes this concept of before me. Having another God before me uh, is like cheating on God. Um, and as you look through Israel's history, uh, this, is, this is a problem they kept having. Uh, this is something they kept on doing. Uh, although they did at times, they didn't get fed up with God or sick of God. Uh, what they more likely were to do, and what, what we see them do over and over and over again, is they wanted to add in other false gods uh, to their worship of the true God. Uh, 2 Kings 17 tells us that Israel had feared other gods. Uh, in Ezekiel 20, uh, they are described as being fixated on their father's idols. And in Hosea, uh, we see Israel portrayed again as a harlot, uh, going to other men, even though it was her husband who cared for her. Uh, and reading Israel's hi history uh, can be quite a frustrating read, um, it portrays this loving God who was powerful to save them, who was loving to save them, who was faithful in his promises, and he, who cared for Israel constantly. Uh, but Israel just couldn't respond in a reasonable way. Israel could not uh, continue to fear the God that led them to so many victories. Uh, they couldn't continue to trust the God that had provided for them everything they needed. They couldn't continue uh, to praise and love the God 
that had been so gracious to them, they continually were infatuated with false gods. Uh, They continually feared the nations and their gods around them. Uh, They continually trusted in foreign rituals and foreign gods uh, to provide um, for them rather than their true God. Uh, It's quite frustrating as we read uh, Israel, they continually gave up their hearts to idolatry. But I think it's it's a mistake to think that our modern technological society today has advanced out of this practice. Uh, 21st century hearts and minds are full of things that become their idols. Uh, And I think at this point it's important to note that we're not talking about creating an image or creating an idol. Uh, That's next week. But we are talking about um, things that rob God of the total devotion due to him. Uh, And perhaps in this way, uh, today society has progressed to even a more deceptive and corrupt form of of idolatry. Uh, In the Old Testament, a lot of the false gods in Egypt and the surrounding countries uh, represented different parts of life. Uh, Fertility, prosperous farms, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, animals. Uh, While today we shamelessly devote our lives to these things themselves. Uh, We devote ourselves to the creation around us uh, rather than the creator. Uh, our careers, our success, our children, our bodies, uh, nature itself. Uh, idolatry is still rampant and continual, just as it was in the time of Israel. And us as Christians even are at risk of continuing to attempt to add in gods to our worship of the true God. Uh, and I have some questions here that... Uh, are helpful in the lens of Watson's uh, framework of what worshipping God or what having God as your God looks like. Uh, And he asked the question of what do you think about? What do you value knowing? What do you spend your time considering and pondering? Uh, Is knowing God a priority? Uh, What do you spend your time reading, listening or watching? Or he says, what do you love? What causes excitement for you? What do you wait for in anticipation? What can't you stop talking about? Is it your holidays or your weekends or your possessions or your relationships? Are they taking away from the love that is due to God? Who do you obey? Uh, Perhaps your emotions or your feelings or your desires. What do you do when you're angry or you're anxious? Are you quick to obey your lusts and your burning desires rather than God? And who do you trust in? Uh, Steve spoke on this at length this morning. Uh, When we face trials or problems, where do we turn? Uh, Do we trust in God or do we trust in our own wisdom or in other places? And who do we fear? Uh, Do we fear man? Does this prevent us from proclaiming God as our God? Uh, Does it cause us to deny him? Who do we fear? Surely God deserves our hearts all the time. And yet we excuse moments like these. Uh, We excuse the times we fail to trust him. We excuse the times uh, we fail to fear him or to obey him. Uh, We excuse the times that we love other things more than him and value other things than knowing him. 
But the Bible tells us over and over and over that God is a jealous God. And in this first commandment, we are called to forsake all other things and to worship God and to have him as our God alone. But perhaps, like me, as you consider idolatry and you consider the nature of our hearts and our proneness to uh, trust and to love and to run to other things rather than the true and living God, uh, you start to feel the weight of this command. Uh, Perhaps, as you consider how this command stretches across all the various facets of life, while simultaneously digging into the heart of everything you do, perhaps you are burdened by the impossibility of the task. This is not something that can simply be counselled or educated out of us. Our fallen condition renders us unable and unwilling to rightly have God as our God. Calvin famously stated that our hearts are idol factories. All humans, just like Israel, are destined to continually forsake the true God for false ones. Even though we may know that there's more to life than the vain pursuits here on earth, we continue to fill our hearts, we continue to fill our hopes And we continue to forsake God for them. We pursue the creation rather than the creator. And if this is the way you are thinking as you consider this command, you are correct. We do need a radical solution to this problem of idolatry. There is no easy fix to fixing this problem of our hearts. And that's why in Ezekiel 36, God promises that he will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, This was the only solution for Israel. Uh, When we opened the service, uh, Matthew read from us a bold claim from Jesus that he is the way, the truth and the life. And it is in Jesus uh, that we can be freed from idolatrous hearts. Jesus died and rose again so that we may have a new life, a new heart. Uh, And it is only with that new heart and in that new life that we can know, love, trust, obey and fear God as we ought. But there is still a sense of incompleteness here on earth. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 that a battle remains with the old self, that those in Christ will, cons- that those in Christ will t- continue to struggle with sin, that they will continue to struggle with idolatry. Uh, one of my favourite uh, hymns is uh, Come Thou Fount, and uh, one of the verses reads, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And this is, I think, a beautiful uh, picture of... Uh, idolatry and it's a it's a a common feeling that i think uh, every christian feels our god is a faithful god who has the power uh, and promises to save us a a god who deserves all honor and praise Uh, but we continue to struggle with the idols around us and the idols in our hearts but paul tells us in philippians that god is a faithful god who will complete the work he has begun. 
And we have hope in Christ's power to one day rid us completely of idolatry. Uh, And each day for Christians, it is turning to Christ and it is turning to him uh, as we battle against idolatry. Uh, We must turn to Christ who in him we know God. Uh, We must turn to Christ and love him who gave his life for us. Uh, We must fear Christ who conquered death and rose again uh, and we must obey Christ who also obeyed the law. Uh, Trusting in Christ will never fail us and it is only in trusting in his power that we can be freed from idolatry. So let us pray that he helps us uh, continue on. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, that you are a God uh, who uh, loves and saves his people, a God who loves and saves his people to dwell with them as their God, Lord. And we just pray and come to you and repent of our idolatry, Lord. We come and ask you that you may continue to work in us, that you may continue to help us repent uh, and turn away from idolatry and, uh, and devote our lives and, and give our hearts to your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.